Listen, today we're in the third sermon of a series called Lift. This is a word that God spoke to my heart for our church. I can't wait to bring you this message this morning. Are you ready to receive it? Amen. 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 Let's just invite the Holy Spirit right now to speak to us. God, we just thank you that your presence is here in this place. God, as, as we sang at the beginning of this service, breathe on us, Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for this message today, that, Lord, my limited abilities would be inspired by the breath of God, that, Lord, you would take the words that, that I'm trying to articulate and you would put your power and your emphasis and your anointing on them so that I would be, as 1 Peter 4.10 says, the very oracle of the Lord. Father, would you speak through me today? Stir your church in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. It was 1903 when engineers from around the world were working in their garages to try and build a lighter and more powerful engine. They wanted to be the first controlled flight by humans. And while all of these top engineers from around the world are trying to create a better engine, more power, lightweight. Orville and Wilbur Wright were doing something different. They were building bigger wings. They understood almost intuitively that the key to harnessing flight was not so much about the powerful engine as much as it was the ability to catch the wind, the ability to control the wings. And so while everyone else is trying to build a better engine, they're building a bigger wingspan. They looked at flying above their bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio, when they saw the birds circling over the air and they studied them and they noticed that with very little movement, they could just oscillate their wings a little bit. They could just adjust the tilt a little bit. And these birds would effortlessly fly in large circles. And they approached flight like they approached riding a bicycle. That was their profession as bicycle shop owners. And, and so they understood that if you're going to ride a bike, you have to become one with the machine. You have to learn how to balance it and, and shift and, and move it. And, and once you learn how to do that, you can, you can ride fast, you can pedal, you can ride slow, you can coast, because you've understood how to control the machine. And so they had a different perspective on how to accomplish flight. And so while everybody else is still tooling away at creating this newer, better, faster, lighter engine, the Wright brothers are soaring over the sand dunes of Kitty Hawk. Today, I want to talk to you about catching the wind. I want to help you today to see that there is something that the Spirit of God has for us that you can't contrive on your own. You can't make it happen. You can't recreate it. But if, if we will get lift from the Holy Spirit. See, see the Wright brothers understood that if, if they could just adjust the the pitch of the wing, they could get more airspeed underneath the wing and, and it would create lift. And, and you've done that too, by the way. Some of you are looking at me a little puzzled. So let me just, let me show you how you've done this. You're riding down the road in your car. It's a nice summer day. The window's down. You stick your hand out the window, right? And right away, what do you experience? Drag, air, pushing against. But then you lean your hand forward, right? And all, oh, now you're flying. All of a sudden, you feel the current lifting your arm. And, and this is what I want you to grab today. If we will lean in to the current of the Holy Spirit, he wants to lift you to new heights. I want to encourage you today to just simply lean in to what the Spirit is saying and lean in to what the Spirit is doing. You know, the Spirit of God is synonymous with wind. Uh, not just metaphorically, but even grammatically. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for wind was the same word that was used for spirit. 
Genesis 1 said the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It could also be translated the wind of God hovered over the waters. Some of you may have a Bible that translates the word that way. In the Greek, in the New Testament, which the New Testament was written in Greek, the word is pneuma. The word for spirit is pneuma, and it's the same word that is used for wind. And so when you look in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking about salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, the wind, the pneuma, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the pneuma. Everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying that the Spirit of God is like a wind. And when the Spirit of God works in your life, in your heart, we don't see it outwardly. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if, like, when you got saved, immediately, like, I don't know, like, you lost all the gray hair and it turned black again. Like, I mean, like, wouldn't that be cool if you just, like, lost 10 pounds suddenly? Like, you come to Jesus and we're like, oh, you got saved this weekend. I can tell. No, it's like the wind. We don't see the wind, but what we see when you come to Christ and the Spirit of God is on the inside of you, we see the effects of the wind. Your life is changed. You're different. How many of you know you're different? When the Holy Spirit works in your heart and in your life, when you're born of the Spirit, we see the effects of it. And I just want to say to you today that God's plan for your life requires that you catch the wind of the Spirit. That you recognize that he's working, that he wants to work, and that you can lean in with your heart and with your life, and that he will lift you and lift your purpose to the places that he wants you to carry his spirit. I want to announce to you today that God is moving. I I don't know who needs to hear that, and maybe that sounds so simplistic to some of you, but as I was preparing this message, it was like the Holy Spirit just stopped me right here and said, just say that. God is moving. Because some of you, your circumstances would tell you otherwise. Maybe the length of your prayer list would tell you otherwise. He is moving. He is not still. The wind is blowing. And so what I want to do today is I want to help you to lean into it. I want you to catch the upstream of what God wants to say to you and what he wants to do in your life. But here's how we miss it sometimes. Because the Holy Spirit is not just related to wind. There's many other illustrations that represent the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. He's he's sometimes referred to as water, the living water, the Spirit of God. He's referred to as fire oftentimes, and we'll see that in Scripture today, that the Spirit of God is typified by fire. The, The Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as oil, Oil, like we anoint people with oil, it represents the the presence and the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is even referred to as a seal, like a a notary or a seal on something that says, you know, if that seal is broken, you know somebody's looked in it, but the Holy Spirit has sealed us in Christ Jesus, and it can't be broken. And so we see all these pictures of who the Holy Spirit is, but the problem with that is sometimes we get these images of the Spirit of God as as an experience or a thing or an influence, or a non-personal power, when in reality, he is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. And I, I need you to just grab that right away today to understand. It's an important understanding of, of who we're talking about. We're not just talking about a feeling or an impersonal experience. We're talking about the person of God. Jesus said this in Matthew When he was commissioning his disciples, he gave them this great commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is not a hierarchy. He's saying, this is God, three in one. And when you go out and preach the gospel, you present God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is as divine as the Father and the Son are. He's not a feeling. He's not an experience. Sometimes people talk about receiving the Holy Spirit and they say, I got it. Or or they'll ask, did you get it? Did you get the Holy Spirit? Like He's not an it. Okay, he is the third person 
of the Trinity. And we need to understand that today, that the Holy Spirit is intelligent. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8, 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has intellect. He has a mind. The Holy Spirit has feelings. He has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 says that the Spirit of God is grieved by our sin. So the Holy Spirit has emotions. He has feelings. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 that the Holy Spirit is insulted when Christians treat Jesus' sacrifice irreverently. When, when we're just flippant about the work that, that Jesus did for us on the cross, the Spirit of God is insulted. So he has intellect, he has emotions, and he has a will. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going away to his disciples, but he said, it's good that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is your advocate. He is your helper. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. It's not just what God wants to do. It's who God is. He wants to help you. So the Holy Spirit is the person, the third person of the Trinity of God. When you got saved, and I hope you have got saved, but when a person gets saved, they receive the Spirit of God on the inside of them. Maybe you prayed a prayer, and you even said these words, Jesus, I receive you into my heart. Well, when you said that, you certainly didn't mean I receive a 33-year-old Jewish man to come and live on the inside of me. No, you meant the spirit of Jesus. You meant the presence of Jesus. And so if you got saved or when you get saved and when you surrender your life to Jesus, his spirit, who is his spirit? It's the Holy Spirit comes to live in you And I want to be clear about this, and I'm taking my time for a reason, because here's the temptation. Sometimes we want to disconnect the work of the Spirit of God from the Father and from the Son. And we might not say it outwardly, but many Christians would say, I'm all about God the Father. I love my Father. He's a good, good Father. I'm all about Jesus and his sacrifice and, and saving me and dying on the cross. And man, I love Easter and rising from the grave. But I don't really want any of that. Holy Spirit stuff. That's, that's like telling your wife, I really love your right side. Like, I, I, I don't really like you over here, but uh, you, you know, show me your good side. That doesn't fly. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. He is the Spirit of God. And so what God wants to do in your life, what Jesus wants to do in your life, is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Some people would ask this question, well, wait a minute, if I got saved and I got the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, then why would I want more of the Holy Spirit? And to that, I would just ask this question, why did you even come to church this morning? I mean, why would you want more of God? Why would you want more of Jesus? I mean, if you accepted him when you got saved, why would you want more? And it's a stupid question because we all know we need more. There's more that God has for me. There's more that God wants for me. There's something more that he wants to reveal in my life. And I want to tell you today, there is more pneuma. There is more wind. There is more of the spirit of God that can operate in your life if you will lean in to the wind. So here's what I want to do today. I want to show you how the spirit of God is working and how he wants to work in the life of every Christian. The first way that the Holy Spirit works, and this is, by the way, the most important way. The first way that the Spirit of God works is in salvation. There is nothing that is more important in the Holy Spirit's job description than leading people to salvation. If you don't know the Lord today, that's where the wind is blowing you. That's why you're here today. You might say, no, I'm here because somebody, you know, convinced me I should come. Or I'm here because, you know, I, I just, I took up somebody's offer to, to go to lunch and they said, meet me at church. And I, I don't know, but let me tell you why you're really here. You're here because the Bible says no one seeks God unless the Spirit draws them. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing today. He's drawing He's drawing you. That's where the current of the Holy Spirit is taking you. If you don't know the Lord, he wants you to know the Lord. And we can see a picture of the Holy Spirit 
working in salvation in the Gospel of John. I want to show you this because this is going to draw a line of distinction in how the Holy Spirit is working today. John chapter 20, verse 21 says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, here's what you need to know. Context. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He died for our sins. He rose on the third day. Now he is appearing to his disciples. And here's what happens next. He says, it says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that moment? I mean, here they are. They're talking to the resurrected Lord. He's got nail scars in his hands and in his side and in his feet. He's, he just walked through the wall. I mean, he's real, but he's kind of not real. But he's eating fish with them, but he's walking through the wall. And, and they're going, this is, diff- this, is, this is resurrection power. This is the same Jesus, but he's not the same. Because he now has a resurrected body. And Jesus, he breathes on them. And when he does, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is an incredible moment because this is the first time that the Spirit of God actually dwells on the inside of man. Now, you, if you know your Bible, you can think of many times in the Old Testament where people were moved by the Spirit of God. There are several situations where the Holy Spirit came upon people. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul and he prophesied. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson and he had great strength to defeat his enemies. And and the Holy Spirit would come on people for moments and for special assignments. But this is the first moment after the resurrection that Jesus tells people they can receive the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of the disciples. And Jesus' promise that he had made is now true. He said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Aren't you glad that when Jesus said, I'll be with you always, that didn't mean that there will be a 33-year-old Jewish man always creeping behind you? No, when he said, I'll be with you always, he meant, I'm going to give you my spirit. My spirit is the Holy Spirit. That's what happens here in this moment in John chapter 20. Now, listen, these these men had walked with Jesus. They They had ministered with Jesus. They had seen miracles with Jesus. They had preached in his name. But because the sin issue of humanity had not yet been dealt with, the Spirit of God didn't live on the inside of them. But now that Jesus has gone to the cross, now that he's resurrected from the grave, now that he is the first fruits of our salvation and eternal life, he says, I want you to have my spirit on the inside of you. And that's what happens when you get saved. And listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to lean in to that wind today. More than anything else, it's our heart's desire that you would just embrace the, the, the pull and the draw of the Holy Spirit and that you would respond and say, God, I, I, I feel you calling me to salvation and I surrender, Lord. I yield to that wind of the Spirit and I give my life to Jesus. And I want to promise you, Jesus said, The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have life to the fullest. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life in the overflow. If you'll surrender your life to Jesus, he will take you to heights that you did not know you could go to. But there's a second work that the Holy Spirit does. There's a second airstream that we want to lean into today. And I want you to look at this with me for the remainder of our time. Jesus is speaking to this same group in Luke chapter 24, same group of men, men that have ministered with him, men that have served with him, men that have preached in his name, men that he looked at and and breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, these these are saved men. And in Luke 24, verse 49, he says to them, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What is that? What are you going to send us? What's the promise of the Father? 
And so, so Luke kind of ends his gospel with this tension that, that you're there, but you're not all there. There's something more that God wants to do in your life. And, and maybe, maybe you knew this, but Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, when he wrote the book of Acts, he began with these words. He said, Theophilus. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And so Luke is saying, I already told you about what he began to do in the Gospels and through salvation and through the resurrection. Now let me tell you what he continued to do. Acts is Luke, the sequel. And he says, let me tell you what he continued to do. And so Luke writes again about what God or what Jesus said to the disciples. And and he gives us more clarity in Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is huge, church. This is huge. Jesus is talking to men who he's already breathed on, the pneuma, the wind of God, and said, receive the Spirit. Talking to the same men, and he said, now, don't you dare go out and and try to reach the world. Don't you dare go out and try to evangelize the nations. Don't think that you can can build a faster, stronger, more powerful engine to go out and accomplish what you need to know until you receive the Spirit, the wind of God. So he tells them, go to Jerusalem in verse 4 and wait for the promise of the Father. And then down in verse 8, he says, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus was saying is this power that you're going to receive is beyond what you've already experienced. What he's describing in this moment is an experience that's going to enable them to catch flight in the spirit. It's an experience that's going to enable them to do the things that God has called them to do in the area of purpose and mission. This experience is is what we refer to in the church as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's different from being baptized into salvation. It's different than being baptized in water. When you're saved, many of you were baptized in water. This is a third Baptism, and it's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're here today and, and, and you wonder what's different about the Pentecostal church. Maybe you've been coming for a while and, and, and you don't have a Pentecostal background, and, and boy, you, you like the, the services and you like the music, and, and you just wonder, well, what is it about a Pentecostal church? Because by the way, this is a Pentecostal church. Amen. We're an assembly of God church, and the assemblies of God is the largest. Pentecostal fellowship of churches in the world. And so let me just state it as simply as I can. What that means for us is that we believe that God is empowering the church by his Holy Spirit the same way today that he did in the book of Acts. I'm going to share some scriptures with you to show you a pattern of this airstream that the Holy Spirit wants you to ride on. This invitation for a baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want to show you how it plays out in the Word of God. But if you look at the church and say, well, what makes them Pentecostal? It begins with an understanding of what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So I want to go there for a moment, and I want to show you through the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit operates in the lives of saved people. Now, again, you need to make this distinction. The Holy Spirit's primary work is to call lost people to salvation. This secondary and subsequent work is only for saved people. 
If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is not going to happen in your life. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't have to pray for it. The Holy Spirit wants you to receive Christ as your Savior. But what I want you to see is this pattern, and it begins for us in Acts chapter 2. It says, and when the day of of Pentecost had fully come, or when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. This is 120 believers, 120 people who had received the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus on the inside of them. It says in verse 2, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They heard this wind. It says in verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, small flames of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This is supernatural. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the day of Pentecost. This is what we consider the birthday of the church. This is the moment where Jesus said, go into Jerusalem and wait. You're going to receive the promise. And when you receive the promise, you're going to get the power. And when you get the power, then it's go time. You need to catch the wind so that you can get the the lift that you need to do what I've called you to do. This is the day. The Holy Spirit is poured out. They see some visible signs that immediately communicate to them. They recognize this as all those Old Testament signs of the Holy Spirit. They feel the wind. They see the fire. All those things that symbolize the presence of the Holy Spirit. But something new happens on this day. The Bible says, as the Spirit of God enabled them, they begin to speak with new tongues. And we don't even know what that means at this point in the text, but something outwardly not just happened around them, but something inwardly began to rise up and they began to communicate in what Paul would later call a prayer language. So they have this incredible moment and and then they pour out into the streets and immediately there's a crowd because there's always something outwardly that happens when the Holy Spirit works inwardly in the lives of believers. And for all that was happening in that crowd of 120 people who just broke out in revival, there was a crowd. And so Peter gets up and he begins to preach on the day of Pentecost. And he's explaining to the crowd down in verse 33 of Acts 2, talking about Jesus. And he says, he was exalted to the right hand of God. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, it was a show and tell moment. Peter was saying, you see what's happening? Let me tell you what that is. What you're seeing, this is the promise of the Father. Jesus is now ascended. He's not on the earth anymore. We saw him go up. He went up, and now that he's up, he sent the Spirit down. There's something new that the Holy Spirit does on the day of Pentecost that he never did before. Now, the Holy Spirit not only lives inside of us, Jesus' Spirit lives in us through salvation. Now the Holy Spirit is baptizing the church. And it's not a one-time event. There's a lot of people that that maybe they've been in church for a long time and they go, oh yeah, I I experienced that one time. But it's never intended to be a one-time event. In fact, if you turn the pages and just walk with me through the book of Acts for a few moments... In chapter 4, the the disciples had been preaching and persecution has already kind of started coming against them. And Peter and John, two of the church leaders, they get arrested. And after they go on trial here before the Sanhedrin, ultimately they get released. And so they go back in Acts chapter 4 to the church and everybody just comes together for a prayer meeting. So here's all these early believers. They're dealing with the, the first the first real tension of of persecution, and they decide we need to have a prayer meeting. So in Acts chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So in this moment, these are are not only Christians, these are Spirit-filled Christians. They had this experience on the day of Pentecost, but here they are again, and the Spirit is being poured out. 
Can I just say from the very beginning of the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit was viewed as critical criteria to be able to lead the church. And so it's no surprise that in Acts chapter 6, when the disciples needed to elevate some leaders to handle the administration of the church, here was the criteria that they gave. They said, look, brothers and sisters, Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we want you to choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them. Now, listen, this coming Sunday night, we're going to have a, a church meeting, and, and part of the business that gets done in that meeting is, is we select men and women to help lead the church in the official capacity of our board members. This is an advisory committee that prays with me and speaks into my life, and I bounce ideas off them, and I cast vision to them before I cast vision to you. And I need those people, you need those people to be full of the Spirit. Here's where we get the job description, that these are Spirit-filled people that aren't just yes men and yes women, and they aren't just people that have good ideas. They're people that lean in to the Spirit of God and believe that He's going to do something supernatural through us. That's what they were looking for in the first century church, and that's what we're still looking for today. The Holy Spirit begins to stretch the church. In fact, in in Acts chapter 8, The Holy Spirit pushes the gospel even farther than the church was willing to go. They they weren't ready for the Samaritans to hear the gospel. This This was Jewish Jesus, and this is our Savior, and we're pretty content to stay here and celebrate. But the Holy Spirit always pushes the church upward and outward. And so in Acts chapter 8, Samaritans heard the gospel. And they believed unto salvation. Look look at what it says, Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles that were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because, verse 16, The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. See, this is a subsequent work. They were already saved. They already believed. But when Peter and John got there and saw that they believed, they said, well, now they need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's something more that the Spirit of God wants to do in their life. That's what I want you to lean into today, to understand that first and foremost, the Holy Spirit wants every believer to be saved. But beyond that, Peter and John would look at a lot of the church today and say, well, yes, they believe and they're saved, but now, now they need the Holy Spirit to baptize them. They need that endowment of power that we received so that we could bring the gospel to them. And it says, verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them. And they receive the Holy Spirit. They receive the Holy Spirit. And and, then somebody might read that and say, yeah, but where was the outward manifestation this time? Well, it doesn't say what what happened outwardly, but what it does tell us in Acts 8 is that there was a magician who had been in that town before they got there with the gospel. And he had impressed a lot of people with his magic arts. And he had, he had built up a following for himself. And he's standing there in the crowd when Peter and John lay their hands on these Samaritan believers. And all of a sudden, they received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Simon the sorcerer approached them. And he said, when he saw the power of the Holy Spirit, give me this power also. He offered to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit from them. Why? Because he saw something outwardly and tangible that happened when they received. The Bible goes on to give us another story in Acts chapter 9 about the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And he was persecuting the church, but he had an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. He he surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, but the whole encounter left him 
blind. And, and God speaks to a man named Ananias, and he says, I want you to go and I want you to pray for Paul so that I can heal, heal him and so that he can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Ananias goes and he speaks to Paul and he, and he prays for Paul. The Bible says he received a miracle in that moment. Scales fell, fell off of his eyes and suddenly he could see again. And it says in Acts 9, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and again, Acts 9 doesn't tell us if he spoke in tongues or if there was an outward manifestation. And so you might wonder, well, did that happen for Paul? Well, you don't have to wonder with Paul because he ended up writing over half the New Testament. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, Paul's words, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So we don't have to wonder if Paul received a prayer language when he received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then you go to Acts chapter 10. And, and now the gospel's going even farther because Peter finds himself in the home of a Roman centurion, a Gentile soldier of the Italian regiment. These are, these are not God's people. They're not even half God's people like the Samaritans. These are the Gentiles. But the Holy Spirit led Peter there, so he takes the gospel there. The Bible says in Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, now that, that's, the, that's the Jews who came with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. How did they know the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles? Verse 46. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So here's an incredible moment that the gospel has now crossed over not only regions, but it's a fulfillment of, of Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power to be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, which we saw in Acts 8, and now to the ends of the earth. They saw them receive the Holy Spirit. And so Peter said, verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. That's so important because Peter's saying what we experienced in Acts chapter 2, here we are all this time later and they received the Holy Spirit the same way. The same way. This is, not a, this is not a once and done Pentecost, day of Pentecost, birthday of the church moment. No, this is a pattern that the Holy Spirit established for believers and he said, they received the Holy Spirit the same way that we have. Let's go one more place. You go all the way to Acts 19. Years have passed. And the Apostle Paul has now taken the gospel to Asia. He's in Ephesus. They've crossed state lines and country lines and nations. And he takes the gospel there. And when he gets to Ephesus, the Bible says in Acts 19 that he met some believers there. He found some disciples. And so he asked them this question in verse 2. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And here's their answer. They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So look at Peter's response, or Paul's response rather. Verse 3, he said, then what baptism? Did you receive? They said John's baptism. So think about this. Way back before Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan. He was telling them that God is sending the Lamb of God. He's sending the Savior of the world. He's preparing the way. Well, these guys believed that, and they started living by faith, but then they moved away. So, so Paul has to catch them up on the story. Hold on. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you, he did come. He did live a sinless life. He did die a substitutionary death in our place. He did rise from the grave. And then he ascended in bodily form up to heaven. And then he sent his spirit to come and dwell on the inside of us. And so Paul gives them a crash course 
in their faith. Look at the next verse. Paul said in verse four, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one that was coming after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, on hearing the gospel of salvation in Jesus, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Many of you have experienced that. That's water baptism. You believe the gospel, you were saved, and so you express that by being baptized in water. Now there they are. They're new believers. They're wet. They're standing there with Paul. In verse 6 says, then Paul placed his hands on them. And when he did, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. The New Testament church believed that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was available for everyone. Even, even these Ephesians, even the Roman centurion, they believed that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for everyone who believed in Jesus, for everyone on whom Jesus breathed the Spirit of God and they received salvation. There is this subsequent work that the Spirit wants to do in your life. And so when they met people that knew Jesus, their first question was, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because if you haven't, you, you, need, to, you need to spread your wings of faith. You need to catch this because it's that compulsion and power of the Holy Spirit that got us to you. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't get the Holy Spirit, don't even try to go. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. And so if we needed it, you needed it. And over and over again, they saw people and they said they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. This is why, this is why we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This is why this matters, church, because the disciples, they, they were a lot like those engineers at the turn of the century. They were like those engineers that just felt like, you know what, we've seen Jesus do this. We, we know how to preach the sermons. We've even uh, been a part of miracles. We are ready to go. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. We want to go. And Jesus had to say, wait, wait. It's not about your ingenuity. It's not about your ability to come up with an idea. It's not about a, a church growth strategy. It's not about a family planning. It's not about the latest book you can read. It's not about building a faster, stronger, lighter engine. You need the wind. You need the pneuma of God to fill your sail. You need God's spirit to empower you, or you're never going to get off the ground with this thing. Amen. So that's the message of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, wait until you've received the baptism. You know, 100 years ago, I was thinking about this, and you see this image behind me. 100 years ago, aviation was pretty simplistic. That first flight that the Wright brothers accomplished only went 120 feet. That's how long the flight was. And I got to thinking this week about how, how advanced we've become in aviation. I mean, in 100 years, think about it. I mean, we've got a member in this church. Next week, she'll be 99 years old. Think about how much has happened in one lifetime. Now, today, you can get on an Airbus A380. You can get on a plane that is longer than the Wright Brothers' first flight. An Airbus is 236 feet long. And yet, with all of our ingenuity and with all of our advances in technology, Every airplane still has to overcome the same challenge, gravity, gravity. Christian Bearscove is a member of our church, and he's a pilot, and, and he, he shared with me that, that every plane in motion has to deal with four elements, lift, drag, they have to deal with thrust, and they have to deal with gravity, all times. And the only thing that overcomes gravity is lift. It's the only thing. So with all of our technological advances, the one thing hasn't changed. A plane still has to accomplish lift if it's going to get off the ground. And what I want to say to you is that in 2,000 years of church history, there's a lot that's changed. 
There's a lot we think we know better. There's a lot of things that we can do. We can build bigger and faster and stronger and lighter. But I want to tell you that one thing hasn't changed. God's plan for overcoming the limitations in our life is the power of the Holy Spirit. We still need to lean in to the wind. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us and to empower us so that we can get off the ground and do the things that God's called us to do. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. So I want to I end today by, by telling you, not just about it, but I want to tell you how you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's four simple steps, and, and you're going to remember them because it's L-I-F-T. I want to tell you how you can get lift, how you can lean in to what the Spirit of God wants to do in the life of every believer. L just means leave your sin. See, that there's one thing that serves as a hindrance to us receiving the fullness of the Spirit, and it's sin in our lives. That's why I said an unsaved person is never going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not going to happen. And so if we want to receive everything that God has for us, if we want to lean into what he's saying, to where he wants us to go, to what he wants us to do, then we have to remove the limitations. We have to leave our sin. And that's the Bible word for that is confess. Confess to just acknowledge our sin for what it is and, and to repent. You know, the word repent just means to turn. When we repent of sin, we don't just turn from that sin, we turn towards God. So the first step is leave, leave your sin, but don't just turn from something, turn towards someone and, and make up your mind and say, God, I, I, I repent of my sin. And I'm going to say it one more time today. If you don't know Jesus, that is the work that the Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants you to... He wants you to sense in this moment today what most of us have already come to understand. And that is that, that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior. And I can't save myself, but Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. And so I, I'm leaving my sin at the foot of the cross. I, I give it to Jesus. I surrender my life and I trust you to be my savior. If you're going to receive the Spirit of God in your life, you got to leave sin. The I stands for invite the Holy Spirit. I know it sounds simple, but you got to want Him. The Holy Spirit doesn't show up where He's tolerated. He shows up where He's celebrated. you got to want the Holy Spirit. Now, now, here's the disclaimer, and some of you can relax at this moment. If you don't want the Holy Spirit to baptize you, He won't. So you don't got to get nervous that... You're going to show up at church and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's going to like jump all over you like a, you know, a Holy Ghost bomb's just going to go off and we're all going to get hit. Like, wow, doesn't happen that way. That's why you can be in a church service and you can, man, you can be so moved by the power of God. I mean, you can feel like you're under the spout where the glory comes out. I mean, God is just moving all over your life. And then you look over and there's somebody else standing next to you and they're just like, Right? We've all, we've all been there. Maybe you've been both people on any given Sunday, but you have to invite the Holy Spirit. If you want the Holy Spirit to move in your life, make him welcome. Give him room. You have to invite him. Jesus said, if you then, evil as you are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? If you ask him, if you'll ask him, if you'll invite him. Now, the F is so important. The F stands for focus on the giver and not on the gift. Focus on the giver and not on the gift. And can I just be honest? This has been, this has been the, the hang-up for a lot of people. Because when the Holy Spirit fills a person, they feel 
a person, and that person has their own mind, their own emotions, their own will, their own intellect. And and so what we can do in the same way that we can look at the Holy Spirit instead of seeing him as a person, we look at him as some force, as some cloud or a fire or oil or water. No, he's a person, but we can make the same mistake when it comes to the gift. We can start looking at the outward experience that somebody else had, and we can start seeking the gift, the outward experience, and not the giver. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit empowering you. And I've known known a lot of people that they've hesitated. They've hesitated to lean in to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in their life because they saw how somebody else responded to the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're, you're quiet, maybe you're an introvert, and you're not really expressive, and you saw somebody baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they jumped up, and they ran around the church, and they shouted, and they danced, or, or they fell on the floor. Now, look, if that's you, I mean, you're probably going to do that if your team wins in the playoffs today, too. You're going to run around your living room, you're going to dance, you're going to shout, you might even fall on the floor, right? If that's who you are, hey, by all means, have at it, brother. Go all in, but just know that when the Holy Spirit fills a person, they fill that person. And so when we want more of the Holy Spirit, we're not saying, oh God, give me, give me what he got. I want, I want to sound like that. I want to dance like that or talk like that. No, I want you. Holy Spirit, I want you. I want you to fill me. I want you to give me your power. So we focus on the gift, giver and not the expression of the gift. The T, and this is so important, the T means talk. You see, all through, and I showed you through the Word of God, the response, the the evidence of a person being filled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that God enabled them to pray in a heavenly language. Now, I don't have time to, to explain the difference between a personal prayer language and the, the gifts of the Spirit in operation in the church. And there is a difference. The Bible says this about your personal prayer language. When a person prays in the Spirit, when a person prays as we've read about people praying in the Spirit, the Bible says it edifies themselves. It doesn't edify the church. In other words, when I pray in the Spirit, you don't know what I'm saying, so it doesn't encourage you. Now, you might like it. You might go, oh, that was cool. But it doesn't encourage you because you don't know what I said. But the Bible says when a person prays in their prayer language, it edifies their spirit. See, that's why some of you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You need to be lifted. You need to be encouraged. You have not been able to break through in prayer because you can't see past your own understanding. And our understanding is limited. Our scope is is limited, it's narrow, and we don't even know how to pray sometimes. But the Bible says when we know not what to pray, the Spirit prays through us. But you have to talk. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to just show up and, and just blast everybody and all of a sudden... He hijacks your tongue and and you just start like speaking in some prayer language. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And you know, I've seen, I've seen people that have leaned in to receive the Holy Spirit. They, 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 They left their sins. They invited the Holy Spirit. They focused in on the giver, but, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't surrender their tongue. They wouldn't open their mouth. They wouldn't pray. And they kept thinking, like, well, maybe, you know, maybe God's going to do it for me. No, no, no. Prayer is our response to God. He's going to give you words that don't sound like words that you know. But it's still up to you to open your mouth and say those words. In fact, my daughter, Morgan, she was at winter retreat with the students last weekend. And God moved on her life in one of the altars, and she came home and told me about it. She said, I I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at winter retreat. I said, that's so good. That's so good. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And here's what she said, and I've heard so many people say this. She said, when I actually started 
praying in the Spirit, I realized that I've actually heard those words before inside, in my mind, and in my heart. I just never said them. I just never said them. That's where, that's where faith comes in. You know, when, when you receive salvation and you're baptized into a relationship with Jesus, you receive it by faith. Jesus doesn't appear to you. you. You don't have an outward manifestation. It's by faith. You receive salvation. It's the same way with the Spirit. You just, you receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it like this in John 7. He said, and out of your inmost being, rivers of living water will start to well up. Now, I don't know how you would describe the emotion or the feeling, but for me, that's what it's been like in my life. It just feels like, almost like a, like a bubbling brook just on the inside. It just rises up and, and I just begin to, to pray. Now, listen, I, I know that we, we live in the day of fact-checking. We Google everything. In fact, my same daughter, who was just baptized in the Holy Spirit, yesterday, her and her sisters were watching a movie. And it, and it was a movie based on a time period around the turn of the century. And we're watching this movie, and she's getting annoyed because the costumes are not accurate for the time period. And she's like, those, those, that's not how they dressed back then. She's getting annoyed by it. It's supposed to be like 1900s. And the, the school teacher says to the class, tell me a nation that begins with the letter B. And one of the kids said, Burma. And she goes, good. Here's my 15-year-old. I don't think so. Pulls out her phone and Googles it. Burma wasn't a nation until 1938. This is supposed to be 1900. You know, That's the world we live in. And you know, let me just say this about the supernatural God that we serve. Not everything a supernatural God does naturally makes sense. But I was pretty encouraged to find out that science is actually catching up with the Bible. And now because we can do live brain scans and we can see people's activity, they've actually, they've actually hooked up spirit-filled Christians to machines and watched the activities of their brain and discovered that when people speak in their native language, it comes from one place of the brain. But when people speak in tongues, that part of their brain isn't even activated. It comes from a different place. It's completely, it's not intellectual language. It's not a dialect that you've learned. It's not some speech that you memorized because you heard somebody else doing it and now you're trying to recreate the same cognitive speech patterns. No, no, no. It's supernatural. Like joy that rises up on the inside of you, the Spirit of God just begins to manifest in an outward evidence of a prayer language. And the Holy Spirit wants to give us that ability. The Bible says when we pray in our prayer language, we pray the will of the Father. I don't know about you, but I don't always know the will of the Father. I don't even know how to pray sometimes. The Bible says that when we pray in our spirit, it's not our mind that's praying. It's not our understanding that's praying. It's deeper. It's our spirit man. You know, we are spirit people. Our mind doesn't connect with the Holy Spirit. Our body doesn't connect with the Holy Spirit. Our spirit connects with the Holy Spirit. And God wants to give us that ability that's why Jesus said, I know on the outside you guys think you got this figured out. I know, I know you're, you're ready to, I know you're ready to just build an efficient engine. But what you need is to, to build some bigger theological wings because I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. I'm going to do something that's never been done before. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to pray and I want you to seek my face and I want you to wait. Wait until you've received the promise of the Father. Then you're going to be able to get the altitude that you need to be the men that I've called you to be. So today, I, I feel very strongly about two things. One is I want to pray that God would pour his spirit out on our church. But the second thing that I felt very strongly is, and, and, and there's a time for this, but I, I just felt today that, that I, I, don't want to make, I don't want to make a spectacle of this. I want to ask you to stand if you would. We're going to pray from right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. 
I want to ask if you would just stand where you are all over this room. And first of all, I want to pray for those that don't know Jesus. I've made the appeal earlier today, but this is your moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that is the work of the Holy Spirit right now. The wind of the Spirit is calling you to salvation. And if you don't know the Lord today, right where you're at, you can just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. If you would just pray that prayer, it's a starting point of a new relationship. In the same way that Jesus breathed on his disciples, he'll breathe on you in this moment and say, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in this moment, supernaturally, you're a new person. Now, outwardly, nothing's changed. But by faith, you accept salvation and you give it time. We'll stand in amazement. Your life's going to change. Because we don't see the wind, but we will see the effects of the wind. God will change your life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, lean in. Please, lean in today. And from your heart, right where you're standing, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I give you my life. Now I want to pray for every Christian today. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to lean in to the Holy Spirit. Let him do a fresh work in your life. Maybe you've never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you've, you've had your reservations or questions, or, or maybe you just didn't know, and today has just been like a, a truth bomb that's just gone off, and you're going, wow, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I never read that before. But I have this sense that there's probably many here that you would look back at a time and a place, and you would say, yeah, that used to be my reality. But today, you need a fresh touch. You need the Spirit of God to move in your life. So right where you're standing, I want to just invite you. Lift your heart. Maybe you want to lift your hands up to the Lord. In the first week of this series, I said, lift your hands in praise. Last week, I said, lift your eyes in faith. Now today, I'm going to challenge you in a moment to lift your voice. To lift your voice and talk to God. But let the Spirit of God empower your speech. So just prepare your heart right now. It begins with confession. Lord, we leave our sin. If there's anything in our life that's not of you, is there anything in our life that doesn't honor you, God, remove it right now. God, we invite your Holy Spirit. I invite you, Holy Spirit. And I'm focusing on the giver. So right now, would you just set your gaze on the Holy Spirit of God and invite him to come and to fill your life? Now, as you pray, I want to challenge you to open your mouth. To talk to God. And speak in your, in your native language. Speak in the words that you know. But just open your mouth. Pray out loud. And what's going to happen is you open your mouth and you pray out loud. The Spirit of God is just going to begin to speak new words to you. He's going to speak words to you from His Holy Spirit. They're going to sound foreign. You might have a hard time pronouncing them. But that's how you were with your English language when you first learned it. Don't be discouraged. Just open your mouth and begin to give God praise. And as the Spirit enables you, just begin to say what the Spirit of God is saying. Now, if you're here today and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I just want to release you right now for these last few moments of the service to begin to pray. Come on, let's lift our voices together. Father, we exalt you today. Lord, from the beginning of this service to the end, Lord, we want to see Jesus lifted high. In this moment, Jesus, be exalted. Our focus is on you. It's your spirit that comes to dwell in us. And we want to receive from you today. So God, would you pour your spirit out on your church? Lord, on individuals. Lord, in homes, in families. God, let your spirit empower us, God. Give us the enablement that we need to be the men and the women you've called us to be. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit today. Lord, let us leave this place today knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we've been filled because of what we see and because of what we hear. God, would you enable us by your spirit to speak with new tongues? God, right now, we just receive. Come on, if the Holy Spirit is filling you, just begin to pray in your heavenly language. Just begin to say those things that you hear the Holy Spirit saying in your heart. The same way my daughter did last weekend. Just begin to say what the Spirit of God is saying. He wants to lead you beyond knowledge, beyond understanding, into a spiritual reality, a divine prayer language. Holy Spirit, right now, fill your church. Father, 
Fill me again, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, draw our hearts closer to your heart. Lord, pray your will through our lives with deep groanings and utterances that we do not understand. God, begin to take us into deeper waters. Begin to carry us on the wind of your spirit, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 Father. Jesus, we magnify you. We magnify you. We give you glory. You know, sometimes when we pray in the Spirit, that's all we're doing. We're just glorifying the Lord. The Bible says in Acts 2, when people gathered around to see what was going on, it said they heard them glorifying God. They heard them praising God. Thank you, Lord, for your Spirit right now that's refilling, refilling your church. God, we lean in. We lean in to all you're saying, to all you're doing. God, have your way in Jesus' name. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives. Thank you, Lord.